So I don't know if this episode's going to be filed under a regular Writer's Lens episode or if this is going to be filed under the Narrative Wars in the future. I, I really don't know, but I wanted to do sort of a reactionary episode to an article that I read about a week ago. And this article was talking about an upcoming film uh, and the producer's thoughts behind the film. And since this is a podcast that deals with storytelling, and it's a podcast that deals with cultural hot buttons and narratives and all kinds of stuff like that, this article was jam-packed with all those things. So let's just get right into it. And uh, welcome to The Writer's Lens. I'm Josh J.C. Alfelto. This episode is entitled Lawn and Hashtag Me Too. So I think just by having hashtag me too in this episode, I might get more downloads than I have in recent weeks just because, again, this is a bit of a cultural hot button right now, uh, this topic of me too. I mean, it's it's carried over from, was it last year or the year before when me too first kind of burst onto the Twitter sphere? I don't know. But anyway, uh, let's backtrack a little bit here. So I said this was going to be an episode talking about a reaction to an article that I had read, and the article was on yahoo.com, and I don't normally peru- uh, peruse Yahoo, uh, but my wife had found this. She was kind of, uh, kind of, fu- you know, I don't want to say fumbling around, but she was looking, around, <laughs> looking around online, and was reading about Mulan, the upcoming live-action film that both of us were pretty excited about. And she started reading this article, and here there were some questions being asked of the production team over at Disney about what they were going to do with the live-action film, since. If you've been tracking with Disney, they've basically been rehashing all of their classics from the last 20, 30 years and putting them into live-action remakes because it's Disney and that's what they do. So we've had the uh, we've had the Lion King, we've had Aladdin, uh, we had Cinderella. I think they're making another Cinderella at some point. Uh, there was Beauty and the Beast. Basically, many of the really big films that Disney uh, rode the wave of during the 90s they've been redoing. And so Mulan is the latest one to catch hold of the remake bug and run you know, full on into the horizon of, of making it a reality. Now, the interesting thing about this live action film is that there's going to be a lot of deviations from it as opposed to some of the other films that have come out. So Aladdin had a little bit of a different ending in it. Uh, the Lion King was almost tit for tat. I think it was like the exact same story. Uh, except for that the animals were, from what I understand, very expressionless. I've still refused to see it because I don't want to taint the original one. I don't don't want to. That's just me personally. Uh, And then Beauty and the Beast was was okay. I mean, again, it's my opinion. I mean, you can have your own about it. But for the most part, the stories that have been getting remade are very, very, very similar. Even down to, to the lines within them are very close to the originals that were made by Disney. Yet Mulan is taking a slightly different approach, and the production team has been very candid about that. Now, according to this article, again, I'm going off of of Yahoo, all right, Uh, the production team at Disney decided that they were going to do something a little bit different with Mulan because of the nature of the character and the relationship that she has with uh, the Chinese army. Now, you might say, well, what does that have to do with Me Too? What does it have to do with, uh, you know, sort of issues of female empowerment, etc. I thought this movie was about 
a woman who becomes empowered by the, her ability to show that she's as good as any man in the army. Well, apparently Disney didn't think that was good enough. So what they've done is they've created a new narrative in this story. Again, I'm going off the article. They've created a new narrative where Mulan will no longer have a romantic interest within the army. They've removed her character, or not her character, but the character whose name is Shang, who was her sort of uh, commanding authority when she first joins the army. He's been removed completely and now has been replaced by an older male character who is going to act as kind of like a father figure, like a mentor. And so my first gut reaction to all this is like, well, why? Why would you eliminate the love interest in this film? You know, like, what grander purpose is this serving to eliminate the love interest? I mean, isn't this what Disney is usually about? Disney is typically about a good love story. Despite the heartache and the love loss that you might see in the beginning of a lot of Pixar and Disney films, Disney's also very good at killing off parents, in case you didn't know that. Um, what, why was this love interest removed? Well, according to uh, this article, the, uh, the team of uh, producers and writers felt like in the wake of Me Too, having a, or an, an officer that is of higher rank, who is a male, and having that person be the love interest over a female subordinate was somehow going to cause a lot of friction for those that are very strong Me Too supporters. Okay, so full disclosure here. I mean, this is obviously an opinion piece for me. I, my first response was, I, I think that's a little bit overblown and ridiculous. And there's a couple reasons why that is. And I want to read from the article, and I also want to read why I think this is overblown and why I think that this was a poor decision on their part. I mean, they're still going to make millions of dollars, don't get me wrong, but I still think that this was a poor decision on the part of Disney, and so let's let's just move into it. So within the article, it says, like Shang's signature song goes. Okay, so Shang has this song, If in case you didn't know, that says, we're going to make a man out of you. And it's obviously this interesting paradox of, Mulan is a woman, but she's there, and everyone thinks she's a man. She's under the guise of a character named Ping. And uh, everyone is treating her like a man because she's hidden herself like a man. She she presumes, or not presumes, she presents herself as a man. And so all of the male characters believe that she is a man. You know, she tries to talk deeper. She tries to walk, you know, like a man. She puts on heavier clothing so that she can kind of hide her figure, if you will. Uh, she does all these things to mask herself to be part of quote-unquote man's world in the army because again within the story if a woman joins the army it's punishable by death she's not allowed to be there but she is anyway because she's trying to save her father she's trying to keep her father who was wounded he's a veteran warrior keeping him from having to serve in the war uh, that he was called forth by the emperor to to fight in so it's a little bit more backstory you know what's going on now like the song goes within the film, will make a man out of you. Again, I'm quoting from the article now. He somehow makes men out of his soldiers in training, and the process finds himself drawn to Ping in particular. By the end of the movie, romance has blossomed between the captain and his best fighter, whose real identity is exposed before the climactic battle. Now, first thing I gotta say, this part here that says Shang is drawn to Ping in particular is ridiculous. No, he's not drawn to Ping in particular in any romantic sense because Ping is a guy. Okay, Ping is supposed to be a dude in the story. 
there's no there there's absolutely no inclination in that part of the in, in this part of the story that would make you think that Shang is interested in Mulan. If anything, you think Mulan is somewhat interested in Shang. Okay, there's there's almost kind of like a giddy kind of oh you know I'm not so sure. But then she, as she finds herself through the training that she goes through, she becomes more confident, and therefore she can stand up to him because there's a very pivotal point where she actually stands up against him to make a very critical decision that saves uh, the entire battalion, if you will, from the onslaught of the Mongols, and they're able to escape with their lives. So she does something very heroic. Uh, again, becoming uh, you know, every bit a good soldier as the rest of the men in the Chinese army. Okay. So this whole line about Shang being drawn to Ping during this process is ridiculous. Okay. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not, it's not true. You can't really read into it that way. The only reason why he takes interest in her is because she's good. She has the attributes of a good soldier. She has improved so much. She, she takes down, there's a part in the film where she climbs up the, the top of this totem pole and throws, I think it's uh, an arrow. There was an arrow that uh, Shang shot to the top of this totem. But you had to use these weights to climb up the totem, basically. And she figures out how to do it. All the other men can't do it. She figures it out, and she throws the arrow down at his tent uh, on the morning that he wakes up and sees that she was able to accomplish it. No one else was able to do it. And from there is the is the middle of the song, will make a man out of you. The montage shifts now. She's able to do all these things. She has confidence now. She can compete with the men. And she's now a standout soldier. That's why he ends up being drawn to her, because she's good, right? Because she's good at this now. It's not because there's some sort of strange romantic interest now. No, he's treating her like a man. She she treats him like a, you know, commanding officer, etc. Okay, so this whole being drawn to thing is, is ridiculous. So during that montage, Mulan goes from a ho-hum soldier to an extraordinary example of hard work and perseverance. That's it. Okay, there, there's not much else to draw from that. But again, Disney or the, the team over there deciding that in their, in their wisdom that somehow this is, a, this is a bad situation. Okay, this is a bad situation then. So, so let's, just, let's just go on. Okay, we're going to continue down the article uh, and see, well, why did they decide to do this? Why did they decide to do this in particular? So again, quoting from the article, this is now Jason Reed, who's the executive producer. He said, quote, I think particularly in the time of the Me Too movement, having a commanding officer that is also the sexual love interest was very uncomfortable, and we didn't think it was appropriate, Jason remarked. Uh, going on, and I quote, in a lot of ways that it was sort of justifying behavior of what we're doing, everything we can to get out of our industry. Okay, so again, let's recap a little bit of what's being said here. In the wake of the Me Too movement, a commanding officer who is also the sexual love interest, this, this causes a conflict here. The idea that there is a man above a woman in terms of rank, he's the love interest for her, she's the love interest for him. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, the CEO and the secretary, you know, that sort of cliche storyline that's out there. Or, you know, the boss and uh, his, uh, you know, admin assistant, you know, kind of does a lot of the daily things for him, etc. There's this dynamic that's going on that, that again, Disney feels like this is un, this is really tricky territory now to navigate. Okay, so at the end of his comment, he says, in a lot of ways, it was sort of justifying behavior of what we're doing, everything we can to get out of our industry. 
Here's again my response. First of all, Mulan is not the love interest of the commanding officer until the end of the film. This is after Shang finds out that Ping is a female. He doesn't even know that she's a woman. Doesn't even know that Ping is a, is a, is a woman until after the fact. I mean, after she saves his life, and uh, after he is asked to take her life, after she's found out, after she's been almost mortally wounded, she's been cut, they have to bandage her up. They basically have to bandage her, and they find out that, of course, she's a woman, so she has breasts. Now, it's a Disney film, at least uh, back in the day, it's a Disney film, cartoon, so they don't actually show any of that, but they give the inclination, they find out that, yes, she is indeed a woman. So Shang is tasked with killing her. That's the penalty. But he throws his sword down and he says, a life for a life. My debt is repaid. I'm not going to take yours because you saved mine. Okay, very honorable thing for him to do. And then he walks away from her. There's no like, kiss goodbye, like, oh, I wish we could have had what we were going to have when you were when you were a man, etc. All this kind of stuff. No. No. That's not the narrative at all. Even at the end, near the end of the film, when, when the, uh, you know, the barbarian... Uh, Group that I want to keep calling them the barbarian horde. Even when they infiltrate uh, China and they come for the emperor, and there's this big parade because you know the, you know supposedly the war is ending and the emperor is there, and you know the the villains show up and they kidnap him. Mulan is trying to convince Shang that the the enemy is within the within their midst, and he he blows her off. You know he wants nothing to do with her, right? He wants nothing to do with her whatsoever. Does this sound like a situation where he's like? I can't wait to be with her again whenever we get back to the city, whenever we get back to China. No, that's, none of that is even close to being true. Second of all, are we supposed to be setting up scenarios where men and women are not allowed to have romantic relationships inside of their work environment? I mean, is this is this part of... I mean, is this now going to become something where we say, well, it's culturally unacceptable... That a man and a woman inside of a, you know, office space or working in the same building, that if they were both single, that it would be uh, sort of a faux pas if the two of them started to go out. Now, I've, I've, I've worked in office spaces and I still do, okay, I still work in an office uh, with men and women alike in there. Now, I'm married, of course, so I'm not like looking or anything, but the dynamic of having people who work together and who might be of a romantic interest to someone else if they're single. I mean, th that happens all the time. I mean, it, it happens when you're out and about. It also happens in a workspace. And if you're going to shove people together for eight hours a day who could potentially develop romantic feelings for each other, I mean, that's a reality of things that can happen. So we, we can't ignore this as though it's just never supposed to happen because it does. Okay, it, it totally happens. All right. I mean, even you know, even in the workspace that that I've been in most recently, there are two people in different departments, but in the same building, that are dating each other. All right, they're dating each other. Okay, this guy and this gal they met at work, and that's how they they started dating. That was where they were able to meet one another was at work. But I, I just find it kind of interesting that we are, you know, I want to say we. I mean, it's more so just the direction of uh, this production team that the idea of a man and a woman meeting each other through a work and work related function and saying well we're not really sure about this because there's a guy who has a higher rank and there's a woman who's got a little bit of a lower rank we find that to be a little bit of a problem why is it a problem well because 
of something that I would say is actually very justifiable that many men in the past have taken advantage of. They've taken advantage of you know women who maybe were interns or who were their secretaries or who were uh, you know admin assistants, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a whole other narrative there of sort of this glass ceiling. You know, women can't you know move past management positions, et cetera. Uh, there is a legitimate argument there. Okay, so I'm not trying to be naive to that or ignorant to that. I totally get that. That's that's something that has taken place for a lot of women in the workplace. But what is the overarching story here, right? Like we've made a lot of advancements in our culture. We've made a lot of advancements. Advancements. You know, we have women who are business owners now, or CEOs, or controllers who have who've moved up the ladder of success. You know, who have authority over other men in positions. Okay, even when I started working right out of college, uh, when I was I got quote my quote unquote first office job. There were many managers over top of me that were women. Okay, there there were several women actually that were over top of me that that had to dictate what I was doing, you know, on a weekly or monthly basis or whatever it was. So I've always been sort of familiar with this idea of having female superiors, women that are, you know, above me or, or whatnot. So it's this romantic element that now becomes a very gray area, you know, like what is okay? And I know many HR departments across the United States are still trying to figure this out. You know, what's acceptable? Should they be allowed to date each other? Should they should they be allowed to go out with one another? You know, people can do what they want in their spare time, but when they come to work, they're expected to work, right? You don't want certain, uh, you know, romantic tensions causing your work to slack off. Otherwise, that becomes a problem. You could get, you know, you know. I think employers reserve the right to terminate people if they feel like they're not performing based upon some sort of romantic, uh, you know, tension or whatever is going on in the workplace. That's fine, but if we create a narrative around the idea that these kinds of relationships should should never happen, I mean, people are going to break those rules constantly, right? It's just gonna it's just gonna boil up even more. So. So what do we do about that, right? Like, what are we supposed to do? And I, and it's it's interesting because uh, in listening to a few of some of my favorite personalities on social media, one of them being Jordan Peterson, whom, uh, you know, Jordan, I hope you're feeling better, man. I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, but I know you've had a bit of a really rough time with your health as of late. So just know that people are praying for you, man. Uh, Jordan had done an interview a while back where they were talking about men and women in the workplace. And he brought up sort of this rather candid question around whether or not women should wear makeup in the workplace. And he got completely, you know, I want to say destroyed, but he was attacked for his comment. He's like, look, I'm not saying women shouldn't wear makeup. I'm not saying women shouldn't wear makeup either. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. That me, okay, let's just put that on record. But the question was brought around this idea of what is acceptable in a business environment between men and women and the, and the way they interact. And, and Jordan was saying, well, look, you know, if they, you know, if, if women stopped wearing makeup, would that change the dynamic? Would that make things more of an even playing field if women weren't allowed to wear, you know, s- certain outfits? If men weren't allowed to wear certain outfits, if men weren't allowed to wear cologne, you know, let's, let's go both sides of the aisle here. If these kinds of things about uh, presentability were to be changed and people had to conform completely to a certain dress attire, how would those relationships shake out? Would we still have, you know, some sort of sexual tension in the workplace? I don't know. I mean, that's the experiment, of course, you know, and, and Jordan, I think, makes the observation, we still don't know all the rules yet. Now, I would argue that there are certain 
types of rules and proper engagements that you can make based upon maybe your worldview, based upon what your belief structure is or what you believe uh, your morals, what's guiding you from your, your moral center. I would say that, you know, there are certain rules that people would have. But in terms of operating in a free market, you know, open society, you know, capitalist country that we are, what are the rules for those things? Well, you know, again, HR is continuing to keep up and it's ever evolving, ever changing. And, you know, we continue to see how that, that is playing out. So, so anyway, that was, that was the next point on that. But I, but I wanted to, to sort of bring out this last point as kind of a, you know, we're coming in for a landing here with this Mulan and, and the Me Too situation is that I've, I've, I've talked about what the actual narrative of Mulan was in the cartoon and what they're trying to make it out to be in this film with this idea that you can't have romantic relationships between commanding officers and whatnot. I think that by going this route, honestly, I think that by going this route, Disney's actually hurting themselves. And they're hurting... I, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this too for, for a podcast. I think we're not only hurting the point of the original film, we're just we're hurting the narrative around women's empowerment in general. And you might say, well, Josh, well, what, what the heck, you know, this, we're, we're taking out this, this guy who was a captain and she was a, you know, she's a subordinate, a, you know, a, a private uh, soldier or whatever. Uh, so obviously we're not, we're, we're not placating into that, that narrative, et cetera. No, look, here's the deal. The whole point of the film, the story was that Mulan is a woman. She lives in a man's world of war. She joins that world. She proves she's just as good. And not only that, she proves that she can even do some things that they can't. She ends up saving the country. You know, she saves the emperor in the end. And that was the whole point of the film. She was trying to figure out where she belonged because everyone around her, her culture, society, all the rules around them, told her she had to be something. And she ended up kind of blazing her own trail. She ends up fitting in. And not only that, she ends up basically, I mean, at the end of the film, Shang is, is now interested in her. Okay, so he's interested in her now. He comes courting her, which kind of fulfills everything that was going on at the beginning of the film. You know, she was, you know, unsure of who she was. She was unsure of, you know, you know how, you know, she might make her parents happy by, you know, getting married to someone good or, or whoever it would be and making the family proud. And here, she ends up doing kind of the best of both worlds. You know, she kind of, you know, knocks down a, a wall for women in terms of being involved in the army, and then she she ends up dating the the captain. You know, so this is so empowered moment for her, right? This is you know the whole point of the film was her becoming empowered by a kind of you know breaking through all of those barriers of what people said she couldn't do or what she wasn't allowed to do, and then proving that she could have a place in that in that space. She was still a woman, obviously. I'm not saying she became a man. I'm saying she was still a woman the whole time. But that was the point of uh, the film. So now what you're doing in retro or not in retrospect, but now what we're doing going forward is we're saying, no, 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 she's, she's, she can't do that. You know, she's not allowed to do that. In fact, we're going to take out that romantic love interest and make this all about her and this sort of mentor character, this father figure who's going to take her under uh, his wing and, and sort of guide her through this process of becoming a you know, a, uh, you know, a soldier and what it takes to fight and all these other kinds of things. Okay, that's great and all, but she already has a father figure. In the original film, she loves her dad. Her dad loves her. 
And there's a great moment at the end of the film where he says, the greatest gift and honor is having you for a daughter. I mean, it's, it was like part of the original trailer for the film that, was, that made it so popular. The fact that the father approved of his daughter Mulan for what she was able to do and what she was able to accomplish. So now, with this new film, with this new narrative, she's got two dads. She's going to have a dad at home and the dad who's mentoring her in, in the army for whatever reason now. She needs another mentor. Uh, and there's there's no budding love interest in this. Now, the movie looks really interesting, I guess, from just an action standpoint. It looks like the cinematography in it is really good. But I'm really concerned about this narrative. I, I don't... I, I just don't understand why the team... I guess in one part of me understands why they did it. Another part of me thinks, why did you go through with it? Like, was it really something that you had to be this sensitive about? I don't know. Again, me, I don't think so. I mean, that's... Again, this is my podcast. I'm allowed to have my own opinion on the subject. But... uh but what do you, I guess, what do you guys think based upon that information? Now, I know there's a lot of people who might listen to this and they might say, Josh, look, you're not, you're, you're not a girl, you're not, you're not a woman, you haven't been through you know, the, the concrete jungle and, and know what it's like for women who are up against these things. Look, again, I'm not trying to say I'm ignorant to that reality. I know that there are struggles that women have had in the workplace. I get it. Okay, I, I, I don't quite get it because I'm not a woman. But I'm also not going to pretend that these kinds of things don't happen where people become romantically interested in each other regardless of their rank in a company. Okay, I'm not going to pretend that doesn't... Like, you know, women who are, you know, managers and they have subordinates who are men that maybe they're interested in, that can happen, okay? It could happen, right? Uh, it, it, it does happen. So ignoring that, I think, is a problem. Uh, but I think creating a narrative where... Uh, I don't want to say that we we don't ignore it, but I'm just saying that if you're trying to change the story, that's what I really have a beef with. The story was great as it was. Why are you trying to change this story so much because of this when the story itself was was really it had a lot to chew on. There was a lot on the, a lot on those bones with Mulan as far as uh, what the story had to teach us. Uh, you know, just about where do you fit in? You know, how did Milan fit in? How did she end up finding her way in this story? So, uh, again, probably not my most controversial episode. I don't know, again, if this is going to file under my reviews, analysis, or maybe just, you know, crazed talks by Josh. But what do you guys think? I mean, ultimately, what do you think about this whole deal with, with Mulan? I mean, especially if Disney was going to do this, and maybe I'll leave you with this, because these are some questions I, I wanted to get to, and, and I feel like this episode's already gone on too long. If you're going to do this with Mulan, and you have an issue with the differences of authority between Mulan and Shang, and you just totally rip Shang out of the picture, why wasn't this done with Aladdin? I mean, Aladdin's a beggar boy, and Jasmine is a queen. Okay, well, you know, there's obviously a difference of rank and authority there. I mean, why wasn't that changed? Why was the Lion King altered? Okay, Simba's a king, and Nala is part of the pride, but she's not really like royalty from another pride or anything, so what's up with that? I mean, obviously, she's sort of a subordinate compared to him. You know, what? why wasn't? Why weren't those stories changed? I guess is my, my big question. Um, probably, it could be a lot to do with the production team, could be the writers behind it. I mean, this is all Disney, of course, but, but why? 
you know, why weren't some of these other stories changed in all of this? Are they just kind of catching up to it now and they felt like this was the story that they could do this with? Who knows? But to me, it's an, it's an interesting question and one that I obviously want to pose, not just to be controversial or anything, but because I want people to think. I want you to think about these things, listener, as you're engaging with this podcast, as you're engaging with, with narratives, as you're engaging with stories out there. You know, is it true? You know, are these things true of our experiences and what we're being told and, and, you know, how we're experiencing them? So hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think. Comment, share, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, I got some big changes happening too here on the Writer's Lens, and I'll be sharing those in the weeks to come. But uh, again, I, I hope you guys are enjoying this this podcast as it continues on into what will be its third year, I think, here at the end of July. Man, I can't believe it's already coming up here. But anyway, thanks for all the support, guys. Have a great rest of the week. This is Josh Chase Alfalto for the Writer's Lens.